0: I don't know how many of you know this, but one of the things that we get to do as board members is, is take a tour the first time that you show up at the college. And uh, the first time I came as a board member last year, I offered to give the tour. And, uh, and, and Mr. Honeycutt would not let me do that, so I didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, two things. If you were looking for Jerem Bars, you came the wrong week. Uh, it stinks to be you. I think he was here last week so I'm sorry you missed him. Uh, Two, I don't know if I'm supposed to be like Mr. Rogers and take my shoes off and put another pair on, but these are really good options, so I appreciate it, other than the fact that it would probably take too long I do want you to know that as a board member at Covenant College, we are a huge supporters of you. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a minister, so I do not support you financially very much. I support you a little bit financially, but uh, the way that I love to support you is to pray for you, and even though we have just prayed, it would be a huge privilege if you would allow me to pray for you. Father in heaven, we bow before you. Jesus, we have just prayed that we do not want you to tarry. We want you to come back quickly. Lord Jesus, everything about this gathering um, seeks to see you exalted and glorified. Father, I praise you for the college. I praise you. For the women and the men who are the faculty, who are the staff and the administrators, who feed these students and who feed your church. And Father, I praise you uh, for these students. I praise you for the generations of students who have come before them and who have sat where they sat, who have Basked in the color of these windows. Wondering when the scenes depicted will come to fruition. And praying that their faith would sustain. Father, I come before you and I ask you. According to your great power, that same power that Paul tells us raised Jesus from the dead, that you would be at work in them, making them more and more like Christ. Father, we praise you for the opportunity to gather and we confess to you it's not just an opportunity but it is a necessity. And we confess to you it's a necessity that we don't often feel but that in your kindness you continue to call us back to you and so I ask that as we turn and look at your word you would give us a few moments together amazed at who you are and father I echo whomever it was who prayed before that you would be with each heart here hurting, each heart here wondering, searching, looking, and longing. Father, would you do more in these next few minutes than we can ask for or imagine? And would we come to you and receive um, of the feast of your word? And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to read a few verses to you. I know that my time is short. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. In Newton, Massachusetts, I speak for 28 minutes, so, uh, you know, if it gets too long, just stand up and walk out and I'll get the picture, all right? But the passage today is from uh, Daniel chapter 4, and I'm going to read 18 verses, but you'll know it. But you got to hear it because it really is unbelievable what these 18 verses hold. This is how it starts. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How are His signs, how mighty His wonders, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation." I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and as I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make it known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of the dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision in my head as I lay in bed, and behold a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me. The interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've been praying about this chapel for a number of weeks and this text along with a modern-day prophet has been playing in loop in my head. As I thought what I could come and encourage you all with, it was this text, this text from Belshazzar, and a song by Billy Strings. Does anybody like Billy Strings who's here? I think he's incredible. And if you don't know him, you ought to go listen to him. And the song that has been playing in loop in my head is The Great Divide. You probably know many of these lyrics, but let me just read to you the first stanza. We're striking matches on the TV, we're setting fires on our phones, bearing crosses we believe in dying on. Tempers flare, the flames fly higher as we soar closer towards the sun. But I like to think too much damage ain't been done. We're all so far so far apart now. It's as deep as it is wide. We're about to fall apart now if we can't reach the other side. we got to find a way across the great divide. I want you to think about this chapter in Daniel 4. And I'm going to ask you to go back to your dorm to sit outside somewhere beautiful today And to consider the fact that an entire chapter of God's word is written first person by a Babylonian king. This Babylonian king was not a good king. When Zedekiah finally betrayed him for the last time and he crushed Jerusalem, he was brought forward before Nebuchadnezzar and found guilty and his punishment was that all of his sons were slaughtered before him and torn limb from limb and then his eyes were gouged out. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the story about how God revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And the problem is, is that's the sermon that I wanted to preach to you but I don't have enough time. And so if you want that, just ask Grant to invite me back. If you don't invite me back, I'll consider that you don't want that. I won't take it personally, right? But here is this passage that is in Holy Writ from the first person lips of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the nation that crushed the southern kingdom of Israel and it's here for us. It's in the Bible for the Israelites. It's in the Bible for us. But why? As I thought about what to say to Covenant College, I thought about the idea of why a covenant God at all? Why a covenant God at all? God's all-powerful. He could have done the things that uh, that he intends to do in any way, shape, or form that he wants to But Genesis 12 tells us that the reason that God is a covenant God is because he intends, through his covenant keeping, to bless the nations. That God's definition as a covenant God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is for the blessing of the nations, is what we're told. And it's throughout all of Scripture. And here we see it in the midst of the Israelites in exile. But what is this passage really about, and why did I want to bring it to you? Listen, I am so thankful for Covenant College. I had to move away and be gone for 25 years to understand how thankful I am for Covenant College. Your professors, the women and men who teach you, feed the church. And I could give you list after list of their publications and the ways in which they have fed me personally but the one I'm gonna give you is that one of your professors came and gave a lecture at this thing called General Assembly you think the board's confusing don't even try to go there right but at this place called General Assembly every once in a while they want to encourage us pastors and so they had one of your professors speak and their professor said you know something if there was one Bible verse in all of scripture that I would encourage you to read you memorize it's Exodus 34 6 & 7. Does anybody know what that is? The name of God, right? God's self-proclaimed name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation because of your professor. There isn't a child in a church in Newton, Massachusetts who has gone through a communicants class that doesn't know that verse by heart. But not just that, we have graduates of Covenant College who are salt and light in our congregation. No, look, I can't throw Wheaton under the bus just because my aunt and uncle are here. That's not the only reason I can't throw Wheaton under the bus. Our children's director is from Wheaton. Christian higher education feeds the church, and I am so thankful. But Billy Strings is right when he says that we are at a great divide, and we have to consider the condition of our world, and you all feel it more than we do. You know this deep in your heart. You know this deep divide. And this passage speaks to that deep deep divide. This passage is about the obstacle that we have in loving our enemies. C.S. Lewis asks this question. How much do you dislike it when others snub you or ignore you, patronize you, correct you, give their opinion all the time? How much do you dislike that? Take just two seconds and put a number next to it. One out of ten. What's your number? How much do you dislike it? C.S. Lewis said that that is the best question to unearth the pride of our hearts. The vice at the center of human sickness, the root of sin. What he calls the anti-God state of mind. You see, this passage is about God dealing with pride. And it ends in the 37th verse. And again, Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. And listen to what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Look, you ought to... to, Babylonian king, what, what do you do with that? For all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The sermon about Nebuchadnezzar is a different sermon but the end of that sermon is the one that you're getting which is the shocking story is Daniel's care for Nebuchadnezzar in the verses that follow. Nebuchadnezzar who was abducted and taken as a slave to grow up in the palace. His actions and his motivations are the shocker of this story. In verse 19, we see Daniel and his care for Nebuchadnezzar, his concern for the well-being of the king. Listen to what he says. He says, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Think about that for just a minute. This is an Israelite speaking to a Babylonian king who has crushed his people... ...and yet Daniel references concern for Nebuchadnezzar. It's unbelievable. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 24, Daniel actually tells him the truth... Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree from the Most High which has come upon the Lord my king that you shall be driven from among men. This is going to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't withhold truth from his enemy. He tells his enemy the truth. And there's one more thing that Daniel does that just shocks me. It just shocks me. In verse 27, he says this, therefore, O king, break off, no, he says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. If you take that with any degree of authenticity, It ought to shock you to your core that Daniel is able to care like that with his enemy. We are at a pass of a great divide. I live in a community that is statistically known as an unreached people group in our world. Less than 2% of the people that live in my community profess faith in Jesus Christ. And I need covenant students to come and love that community. But how are you going to love across that great divide your enemies? What did Daniel know? Well, his name means God is my judge. Do you know that Daniel had been humbled in the exile? Daniel had learned to trust God with everything that he knew about him. You know that the story talks about the tree getting cut down and it's like a stump. It's likely that this wasn't Daniel's first understanding of a kingly stump. You know why? You do. You remember... I know as a board member that you have four Bible classes that you have to go through through four years. And one of those is going to cover Isaiah 11. I know one of them does. Right, Daniel had most likely heard that Israelites for sure know, you and I as we read this, we have heard of another kingly stump. A stump that isn't actually named after the kingly line of David but actually goes back even farther to David's father. Before the the king, the family was even known, in its lowliest sight, the stump of Jesse, and that there was out of that stump a shoot. Daniel knew that God was in charge. You have read the first few chapters of Daniel; you know that. Daniel knew that God wasn't finished that stump the shoot that comes from that stump was said that the spirit of the lord was on it and that the delight of that shoot was in the fear of the lord and that that shoot would come and judge the poor and find equity for the weak the meek and it would result in peace the wolf lying down with the lamb And that the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the shadow of what Daniel knew. This is what he entrusted himself to that allowed him to love his enemy. What would move us from a place of pride that just allows us to be at the odds of this deep and great divide that exists in our culture today. Moving us from competition to the love for power to the enmity that pride is. Not just being smart, but smarter, right? I have a new favorite biblical scholar. Her name is Eleanor Stump. And she writes a book called Wandering in the Darkness. And, you know, I'm not going to espouse everything in this book, but one of the things that she brings up is that she says of Job's friends, they knew Job in third person, but God blessed Job by making himself known in second person to Job. God spoke to Job as you, and Job returned that conversation to God as you. The second person personal relationship. Students of Covenant College, you know in reality what Daniel knew in shadow. God deals with our pride as exiles in this chapter because He is calling us to love our enemies with our lives. Lewis says that God deals with our pride because of this. He says the point is God wants you to know him. He wants to give you himself. And he and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will in fact be humble, delightedly humble feeling the infinite relief of having for once gotten rid of all the silly nonsense about our own dignity which has made us restless and unhappy all of our lives. What Daniel knew in shadows, we know in reality in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the shoot From the stump of Jesse. We are told in the Gospels that the the Spirit of God descended upon him and remained upon him. We are told that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. That awe-filled orientation toward God in all of life that leads to obedience. And we know that Jesus brought the final peace that we long for by dying on the cross for our sins and that the reason he came is because God loves the world. We know this. His name means God is salvation. And the good news of the gospel is that God saves sinners like you and me, like us. this passage is here not to just be in awe of what God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life and I'd love to talk to you about that but it's written here for us of the invitation of would we repent would we repent of our orientation toward others who we consider exiles but we are actually the ones who are exiles you all We are the ones who are foreigners in this world. We are the ones, we are the ones that Jesus came after. And he's sending us to go after the nations that have been given to him. And I have one question for you as I end. Will you pray that God would give you such a deep love For your pagan neighbors who don't know Jesus and who are perishing. My grandfather loved this chapel. His favorite part were the windows. He used to sit me down and walk me through them. But the one that stands out to me is that one the one that says ask of me and give and i ask of me and i will give you the nations you all know that that psalm too a messianic psalm you know that christ is the king the nations have been given to him do you know that he is the one who in turn will give you a love for those nations that He loves, and that He will work in you and in me to crush our pride and elicit in us that deep love that is like the love of the Father. That's what I long for you for, that's what I pray for you for. I went too long, let me pray so we can sing together, right? I have understood how you end. It's come before the board. The board has wept tears over the joy of the ending of this. Just know that. So let me pray for you, and then let's stand up and sing. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you um, that you have put the scripture before us. Father, I do pray for these students that as they um, contemplate it, uh, they would be amazed at the lengths to which you have gone in sending Jesus for us, that we would um, love the nations to which you have called us. Father, I pray that many of these students uh, would fall in love uh, with people uh, across the great divide and that by doing so, you would redeem uh, people from every tongue and nation, tribe and people, for your glory uh, and for their good. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.